0: Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the Neurodiverging Podcast. My name is Danielle Sullivan, and I am your host. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Today, we are talking to a wonderful guest expert, Lauren Rosario Maldonado, who is an internationally recognized author, HR executive, and cultural intelligence consultant. I am really excited to share what I learned from her about cultural intelligence with you. Before we dig into that, I just want to thank my patrons over at patreon.com slash neurodiverging. Because of the patrons, we are able to produce this podcast almost every week. And I am so grateful. If you would like to join our community where we have a bunch of really cool perks, as well as just the podcast, um, you can join us over at patreon.com slash neurodiverging. Thank all of you over there so much for supporting this effort. It's really appreciated. Today, I'm talking to Lauren Rosario Maldonado, who is, as I said, an author and HR executive and a cultural intelligence consultant with a passion for helping people and institutions navigate the complexities of the human condition, Lauren is also a late identified ADHDer. She is currently the chief people scientist at Cultura Inc., and she's releasing a book very, very soon called "Becoming the Change: The Power of Cultural Intelligence." The book provides readers with a distinct and thought-provoking perspective on how embracing cultural diversity can unlock personal growth and foster a deeper understanding of oneself in the world. Today, Lauren and I are talking all about the intersections of neurodiversity inclusivity in the workplace and cultural intelligence in the workplace. In many ways, neurodiversity mimics cultural diversity though they are not the same and so there's all sorts of intersections between the two topics that Lauren and I were able to tease apart a little bit. I hope you'll really enjoy the interview. I had a great time. Lauren is a fantastic guest and I hope you learned something from it. Enjoy. So welcome to the podcast Lauren. I'm so happy you're here. Um, To start us off, would you be willing to just tell folks a little bit about who you are, where you are in your life right now and what your passion projects are?
1: Hi, Danielle. Thank you again for having me here today. I am Lauren Rosario Maldonado, and I am a leadership development consultant who, after spending over 25 years in corporate America, launched my global consulting business earlier this uh, this year, focusing around leadership development for individuals rooted on cultural intelligence and cultural humility uh, research my latest passion project is I have been working on a book for the last two years. And it finally launches or publishes I should say this fall, late uh, November to early December. And so this work is a culmination of both my corporate America experience my journey towards becoming culturally intelligent and uh, highlighting people across the globe who have done that as well.
0: That's so exciting. Congratulations on your book. That's such a huge project. I'm sure it feels great to be almost at the finish line with that.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I, I, I'm excited. I think uh writing, rewriting and rewriting and rewriting again is it seems to to fit these days.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's it it is, well for me anyway, a frustrating process, but one that really requires us to hone in on exactly what we mean and exactly the way we want to say it and I I always find it a clarifying process so
1: (laughs) I like that reframing it as a clarifying uh, process because I mean you'll relate you get inspiration from anything Mm -hmm. from iguanas to the air to the you know the palm trees or sand it's incredible so sometimes I have to kind of stop myself and say okay yeah. This is, this
0: is the most viable product today. Let's, yeah. Let's stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and I I think many of us uh, with certain types of brains, especially, but all kinds of people, have so much creativity. And I find myself wanting to put energy into twenty projects at once. I hear the same from clients, and it's always about figuring out well for and for each person. I guess you're your process of discernment about what you're going to choose to put your energy in is different. For me, it's always about which one of these things is going to serve folks best in this moment um, or serve me best occasionally. But then I, I work, you know, with folks who are evaluating their lives differently and, and understanding things differently. And, and everybody has to come to their own understanding of how do I evaluate, right. Uh, this project over this one, over this one, over this one. Um, and often I end up not, doing the clarification process of rewriting and rewriting and rewriting, because it feels hard to want to put energy there when there's all these other things. So, yes, yeah, it's a big well,
1: process. I can totally relate. I, um, I only have one child, but I, if you have children, um, I can equate it to having multiple children, right? The first one you follow the book to the T you, you <laughs> you're, you're monitoring every breath that the child takes. For, for everything. But by the second child, you know, you're thinking, oh, okay, okay, this is fine. Okay, well, you make some concessions. Well, I'm in the first child in real seats where I, you know, I that this book is is like having my child. Right? Yeah. The clarification process is is that much more painful, because I'm thinking, well, and what about this? And what happens if this person reads it, and I want to reach this one? Da, 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 da. And you just There's many, many rabbit holes.
0: Yes. Yes. You want to serve everybody all the time. And it's not a a reasonable expectation to put on yourself or anyone. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Well, speaking about your book and. I'm very excited to get my hands on it. Can you tell folks, we haven't discussed cultural intelligence on this podcast before, really at all, I think, maybe a a little bit sideways occasionally. Do you have a go-to definition or set of definitions that kind of we can use for this conversation just to orient folks in what cultural intelligence is and um, why it's important, especially in the workplace?
1: That's a brilliant question. And to put it simply, it's a it's a framework that helps you understand differences. Um, And it's it provides you with the skills that you need around doing that. And that's, that's as simple as I can, as I can put it, right, it has four different dimensions that that intersect to help you do that. And what I like most about it is the understanding differences part, Mm -hmm. because uh, we talked about this a little bit before. In the workplace, you don't understand a lot of these differences, and sometimes, you know, there is there is some language around that, but not necessarily intuitive enough to where everyone can partake. So, what I like about neutral, what about what I like
0: about cultural intelligence is that it provides a neutral language to do that. Wonderful, thank you. So, how would you say that cultural intelligence as a framework fits in or doesn't with sort of neurodiversity framework of this idea that we maybe have a broad range of different kinds of brains? There's a cultural piece of, you know, our societies, our languages, our, our, our politeness norms, all the stuff that comes in and how we communicate and understand each other. And then there's also this sort of neurological layer, right? That does it? Does it sort of fit on top? Does it? Does it interthread with it? How would you? Or what do
1: you matter <laughs> it definitely interthreads i love yeah. that i'm going to use that if that's okay oh please
0: i'm glad it's helpful
1: and, uh, it, it, it does apply because part of the myth that is ascribed whether implicitly or explicitly to culture is that it has to do with ethnicity and race mm-hmm. And if we, you know, I'm sure you know this and the audience knows as well, diversity has 12 dimensions, right? And each one of those dimensions is in and of itself a culture. A culture represents the way that we do things around here, our beliefs and our values. An an operations department does not have the same beliefs as finance Mm -hmm. or HR right are definitely not marketing they have different beliefs they have different um ways and how they approach their work and how they do their work and so those are subcultures within an organizational culture um so that's one of the myths that i like to demystify is it's not necessarily just about your your ethnicity your race your national origin it's about all parts of you right, how they intersect to create a multi-dimensional person. Yeah.
0: And what about within within one, say, department? So, say, you mentioned marketing. That's the one I'm most familiar with. Um, when you have different kind of mini-cultures within a department, how does that affect communication? How does that affect, or I guess maybe another way to, to ask would be, what are some basic sort of go-to strategies Um for, for folks who are hitting kind of cultural roadblocks when we we do all have the same values and the same goals theoretically. That question makes sense?
1: It does, it's basically, okay. you, all, you all know the what, but you may have a different how, mm-hmm. right? You, yeah. you know what you want to accomplish, but you all accomplish it differently. And neurodivergence is no different from that. So using to your example um, about a marketing department, who has different people that prefer different ways to do their work? First, understanding that what? Everyone is clear on that what? And then have create a space for dialogue about the how. right? Understand that your how doesn't have to be my how and that we can both live in our how while still coexist so that we can get to the what. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Having a lot of dialogue, not monologue, but dialogue around that topic helps create understanding so that once you have that understanding, that creates the knowledge that you need to strategize differently. And once you come together and you strategize on how you're going to approach uh, getting to the what, then it's going to create more synergy right? Mm-hmm. The team is going to be more motivated because all of a sudden they understand, oh, okay, You're, you like to approach it that way. I am going to approach it this way and then we'll connect at different intersections to make sure that we're aligned to get to the one. Thank you
0: very much. One question I have, a lot of the clients that I work with um, are in positions at work where they feel very motivated about their jobs. They like what they do. They feel like they have a good handle on, you know, their their bullet point, what they're supposed to be accomplishing in their job. Um, but they maybe need to do something a little differently. Sometimes this is neurodivergent, sometimes it's just personal preference. Maybe they need to get up and take walks occasionally or have a screen reader available or wear headphones in the office or some kind of basic accommodations. Um, a lot of clients report difficulties kind of um, getting management or higher ups to understand that the 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 employee is is trying very hard to do their work as agreed on for the greater value of the company or the department um and instead are they're seen as as sort of troublemakers or people who just want to do it different you know and I wonder if you've bumped into ways to or if you have ideas for, How can individual employees within an organization who are bumping into these challenges but are very self-motivated and want to maintain their jobs and like their jobs, are there ways to sort of argue management around to recognizing that there need to be different hows, as you said, right? That we're all in the same what, we're all in the same values, but that our our hows can and should be different?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Everyone has a voice, whether, you know, whether there's a space for it or not, everyone has a voice. And actually, summoning the courage to use that voice is the first step. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember I, I interviewed someone for my book who happened to to, to be neurodivergent, and he had a, a boss who approached work completely different and didn't understand his need for structure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um this the supervisor was very informal in her approach, mm-hmm. you know, called for impromptu meetings and things like that, and that would drive you know this person's day just mad because he needed the structure in order to get to the what, mm-hmm. right? That was his how. But he summons the courage to talk to her about it and explain why he needed that structure. Mm-hmm. And why interfering with it would then interfere with his ability to get to the what, Mm -hmm. and once he did that, she took a step back and educated herself more on what it meant to provide structure for him, because she asked, well, what does structure look like for you? And so it became a dialogue Mm -hmm. and they agreed to work towards creating that structure within her informal style so that neither side had to change their how they just coexisted within Mm -hmm. and so it is a great success story and, and there may not be as many success stories like that but it's an example of the importance of having a dialogue understanding what you need in order to succeed in your role and then creating a dialogue with management with executives around what that entails and why it's important. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's the key here is to help management and leaders understand why that's important. Not what the science says or what the research says behind that particular diagnosis, mm-hmm. but what you the person needs in order to make the how work for you so that you can get to the what
0: thank you the framing's really helpful i think that i do have clients who have engaged in a dialogue with higher ups and had a lot of success i also have clients who for whatever reason are not in a safe space to disclose or and so you can ask right for some basic things without disclosing a, a diagnosis in many cases but some companies won't even listen to you without those diagnoses which is very frustrating and i i've seen a lot of clients they either succeed in opening a dialogue, and management is responsive, and something you know they're able to continue forward in creating a plan of accommodations, or or opening up um, the the house to the whole department. Mm. I also see clients who it's, and I feel very frustrated on their behalf, who are so motivated to succeed, and for their feel like their job is contributing to a, a greater good in some way, but then end up um, having to separate themselves away from their work and their excitement and their work because management isn't open to a dialogue, right? Mm-hmm. That, that the client is just shut down instead. Um, and so I love the idea of if we ha- if it has to be on us, right? If the system isn't going to change by itself and it has to be on us to, to have the burden to go and change it, um, that there's a framing of bringing it up as a, we both want this, you know, I need to do it this way to get to this this, this point, right? And and can you let me do this, right? Or can we talk about how I can accomplish both of our goal, you know, in my own way? So that's really, yeah, helpful. Th-
1: th- this is what I like um, about the cultural intelligence framework, because everyone has this neutral language that kind of separates the emotion from the dialogue, mm-hmm. right? I, I myself have experienced it. You know, when I when I was diagnosed, I was an adult and I was an executive, I was completely afraid to talk about it for the yeah. longest time because I first needed to process myself. Mm-hmm. And I struggled for the longest time with things like managing my time and and managing the slew of things that come your way on a day-to-day basis. But once I summoned the courage to talk to my team about it, We became allies in that, you know, they they then understood why I behaved in certain ways or why I approached my work in certain seemingly odd ways Mm -hmm. is because of, you know, what made me the person. And so once they understood that, then we had a dialogue about, okay kind of check-ins right if if i approach to do this this way i have to understand that they don't approach it that way mm-hmm. To flex a little bit in their direction and so it became um this this choreographed dance as opposed to this house we're <laughs> all stepping on each other's toes right uh, but to your point both sides have to create understanding management has operated this way for the longest time and has been uh, and hasn't really been disrupted mm-hmm. up to this point. But here's this person that is that sees it differently, not because they don't want to achieve, that's not the mission here, but because they are different. And so that changes the narrative to create a deeper conversation about how to
0: get to the what. When you go into work as a consultant, when you go into a, a pre-existing corporate structure and are trying to assess what maybe training they need or what support they need to become more culturally intelligent, I guess, what do you look for to assess if if they're even open to it, if there is space in the organization to make change and to, to listen to their people <laughs> and their people's needs?
1: I it depends on the nature of the project because Mm -hmm. I know now that no two companies are alike. That's it's like DNA. There are no two DNAs that are identical, not even with identical tools. So part of, uh, the, the discovery questions that I include have to do with change management and understanding whether the organization is ready for the change that they want. to see. So there are some questions that I, use as kind of an X-ray to understand whether they are ready for the change that they seek. Mm-hmm. And you can tell you can tell if they are committed to to the change, to the project, to the to the evolution that they would like to see. Uh, the other is I understand that diversity is often used as a blanket for a lot of things. Yeah. a lot. So my responsibility is to help the client understand what it is that they want and whether they are ready for it. Mm -hmm. So once I have a clear understanding of that, then I can formulate, uh, you know, an action plan that works for that specific
0: client or or organization. Thank you. That's really helpful because I can see. Individuals adapting that sort of approach to handling their own management, or you know, just trying to research uh, in the job search. How do I? I get a lot of qu- people asking, "How do I ask questions when I'm in an interview?" Or how do I, or if I'm on their website, um, or you know, I'm already in the job and have been for many years, but need to talk to management. Um, and I, I think it's all about that framing, like you were saying earlier about figuring out um the the where are they and where can we maybe nudge in a direction um that is relatively safe for the individual but it might encourage change you know in a in a a higher up so of
1: course because we have you know i'll give you an example many many times i'll get a a, a request for proposal for unconscious bias training okay Let's talk about this. What does unconscious bias really mean to you? What about unconscious bias is important to the organization and its mission? Mm -hmm. How is this related? And once we go down that road of of discovery, it turns out to be something else Mm -hmm. that they need, right? So, to your point, a lot of times they start. a certain uh with a certain perspective and then they end up with another because these terms are used as blanket terms for for everything and so our job right is to narrow down that specific need so that we can help be an ally
0: what are some maybe soft skills that folks can train on or learn more about that uh, encourage more cultural competence within within a corporation.
1: Sure. There's there's a lot of programs out there that help develop cultural competence. One of them, uh, I'm a little biased, but I'm gonna say it, the Cultural <laughs> Intelligence Institute is mm-hmm. is uh, one of my favorites, not because I am A certified and B I'm doing a fellowship there, but because it's up until now it has been one of the most comprehensive uh when learning cultural competence in our own backyard mm-hmm. a lot of the cultural competence training and development you see out there is oriented towards the global organization right working with different cultures outside of the united states um hopsteed is one that is is very very good actually he was a pioneer in bringing cultural competence work to uh, the United States, particularly for multinationals who had a presence in many other countries outside of the the U.S. There's uh, a culture map uh, from Aaron Myers, who also has an assessment that you take and you can learn how to develop your, your cultural competence in different domains um there's also another one called my guide and i apologize because i don't remember the name of the organization but it is another assessment that you take and it helps you keep track of of your progress along the way um and i would say first off start knowing yourself your history your heritage where where you came from mm-hmm. where your thoughts and beliefs are, your beliefs your your values came from and how they came to form you, the Mm -hmm. person. Once you understand that, I I would say that's a prerequisite, right? To become competent because our values came from somewhere. We learned it from somewhere. We, we believe what we believe because we learned it from somewhere and understanding that creates expansion to understand more and to understand
0: differences. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, Listeners, I'm going to put some links to some of the things Lauren just mentioned below. If you want to check them out, we'll have to Google and find them. Uh, We work a lot on values in coaching. Um, I think that, and I've talked about this before on the podcast, I think that a lot of folks, especially late identified adults come in and are sort of re- Resetting almost their entire self identity <laughs> um, after getting the information around how their how their brain is working um, and maybe reevaluating where they fit in their their worlds and a lot of times we have we we end up working on um, exactly what you just said basically what are the most important values that you use to make decisions or ideate on your own life and then you know. Which of these values are things that you truly, honestly, in your heart, (laughs) authentically believe? And which of these are things that you picked up from parents, society, church, the TV, like wherever else that you feel like you should be engaging on, but you don't actually authentically believe? And just doing that initial step of splitting out what's kind of true to you and what's a should, just to shorthand it. Um, what's, what's the thing you think you should be doing that maybe you don't actually care about that much. Um, I, On my own, I can say, and for other clients I've seen it, do a lot of the initial work of becoming curious about figuring out, oh, you know, everyone has these sets of values and what are my values at work? What are my values with my family? What are my, you know, it can, it can be really mind blowing, I think, um, when, when you're in, in the space of not knowing who you are or where you are, what you're doing, <laughs> sometimes after a diagnosis um so it's it's really interesting and and kind of exciting to me to hear the carry the follow through of that um between kind of that self identity piece self understanding your, self understanding yourself self understanding of your culture and and then carrying that into well how do i communicate best and approach with curiosity all these other kinds of people with all these other kinds of thinking patterns and all these other kinds of um backgrounds and and understandings of the world. So that's really exciting to me. (laughs) Of course.
1: And you you said it perfectly, right? It starts with yourself. You have to go in first before you go out. So the in part is understanding that history, understanding where these values come from. So then you can sit there and take perspective and then go out and see perspective talk mm-hmm. to others about it, talk to others who are different, and then understand those differences. And once you do that, then you can coexist within those differences, right? Not to sacrifice or change your own values, mm-hmm. but to understand because once you understand, then you can you can have a dialogue around yeah. that.
0: Yeah. I, I think it's easier to find common ground too when you have more certainty around what your ground is. Um, I think I've found um, that a lot of people seem to get stuck um, trying to they end up trying to defend a value that isn't really theirs, especially when it comes to the workplace, especially a bad workplace (laughs) or a dysfunctional workplace Um, and having a really firm idea of what's important to me. Gives you a lot of information about how you're interacting with the other people in your life, whether that's your coworkers or your your boss or your you know whoever it is. Um, So that's just been really helpful to to my understanding. One
1: hundred percent. Yeah.
0: Um, I'm just sorry. I'm looking at my list of questions. Quite all right. (laughs) What didn't I ask you that I I want to give you time to like give your blurb about your book and your website and all the things. Um but outside of that, is there anything I didn't ask you that I should have asked you that you'd like to uh
1: I don't think so. I think you know it's it's uh my mission is to really simplify the complex. Mm-hmm. Right. This stuff can get very heavy. It, it can it just it can get heady and heavy actually. Mm-hmm. And my job, my mission, my purpose is to simplify it. Life is already complex enough. We don't yeah. need to involve more complexity to it. Um, and so finding the simplicity uh, through this neutral language uh, helps kind of, it, it helps, you know, put emotions aside and really talk constructively about something that is so important to Mm. everyone, whether you are neurodivergent yourself, whether you are a relative of a neurodivergent individual, neurodiverse individual, whether you work with someone or need someone who happens to be neurodiverse, uh, you almost certainly do. (laughs) Everyone needs to have a neutral language for discussing this, because if we don't, we can never help the person feel seen or heard. And ultimately what we do want is to feel seen and heard, is to help others feel seen and heard. We just don't know how
0: a lot of the time.
1: Yeah,
0: thank you. And I think that validation piece feeds into so much of um, the validation piece. If everyone could feel more validated more of the time, I think we would get a lot more of the big problem solved a little bit faster, just because knowing that you're understood or that people are even trying to understand you brings so much more confidence and energy into the work we do, whether that's kind of professional space work or social justice work or any kind of, kind of human projects. Um, so, that's, so I'm so glad you said that. That's such an important piece, I think.
1: Absolutely. And, and you know, I don't want to, I don't want to negate the, the complexity about it. That's, that's of not course. at all what, what I, you know, aspire to do. I just, I've seen time and time again, and experienced it myself, how a lack of understanding can lead to so much conflict. And if you do a deep dive into each each situation, time and time again, it comes from a place of misunderstanding. Um, so understanding alone, starting with yourself, like you mentioned, understanding your values and validating those values, what they mean to you in your identity hierarchy, right? Then you can understand others who have a different identity hierarchy and that's where you can create connection because then you can validate that person's emotions because yours have been validated Mm -hmm.
0: thank you so much lauren i really appreciate your time Um, can you tell folks a little bit more about where they can find you online and also your book where can they find that when it comes out
1: (laughs) absolutely you can find more details about the book at laurenrosario.com it's l-o-r-e-n r-o-s-a-r-i-o.com you can find me on linkedin uh lauren rosario Maldonado. it's l-o-r-e-n-r-o-s-a-r-i-o-m-a-l-d-o-n-a-d-o. um you can also find more work more on cultura's work at Cultura.global, it's uh, wwwc uh, dot Cultura. ag Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Danielle, and I appreciate you having me today. Thank you. Of course. I'm so glad we made
0: it. Thank you so much for joining me today on the NeuroDiverging Podcast. I hope you learned something. I hope you had a good time. Please check out the link to Lauren's website at Kultura and also her book down below in the show notes. You can also find show notes, transcripts, and lots of other resources about the podcast on neurodiverging.com. And thank you again to my patrons for supporting our ability to do this podcast. Uh, If you'd like to join the Patreon for a couple bucks a month, you can get ad-free podcast episodes. You can get access to our weekly body doubling accountability group and our monthly parent meeting and hot seat coaching. All of that and more is at patreon.com slash neurodiverging. Thank you all so much for being here today. And please remember, we are all in this together.